If you're a visitor here with us this evening, I want to add my welcome. It's very good to see you along with us tonight. As already been mentioned, tonight we are continuing our series looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the beginning of everything. Now these 11 chapters are vital and important because As has already been mentioned, they contain the seeds of many of the concepts which are built on later on in the Bible and ultimately find their fulfillment in the New Testament and particularly in the book of Revelation. Or if you don't like the gardening analogy, if you're like me and you plant something that dies, another way of looking at it is in Genesis you have the foundations being built which are then built on in the rest of the Bible. This week we are looking at God's plan for mankind. As I was thinking about this evening, I couldn't help but think of a quote from C.S. Lewis. And it's a King Caspian was wishing that he'd come from a more nobler line. He was only a human being. He wasn't one of the Narnia characters who was descended from the fantastic talking animals. He was only a man. But this is what Aslan said to him. You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan. And that is both honour enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest Emperor on earth, be content. As we will see tonight, there's something about being a human, being a human being, that can enable us to walk maybe for head held a wee bit higher, or shoulders back. But at the same time, there's an aspect of who we currently are, which is enough to make all of us, if we truly look at ourselves, boy, our heads in shame. Tonight we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and also Genesis chapter 2. And just to give the context of Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1 deals with the week of creation. And we're just going to zoom in and look at part of day six around the creation of man. And then chapter two. Chapter two is also a telling of the creation. But instead of looking at the whole story, it zooms in on the events to do with man. So let's turn to Genesis chapter one, reading at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now jumping down to chapter 2 and verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, and to keep it. By the way, I've jumped down to verse 15. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, then he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The passages we have just read contain a lot of stuff which is very foundational and very important. It contains stuff to do with gender, marriage and family. But we won't be looking at those aspects tonight. Tonight we're going to look at God's plan for mankind. The first thing we have to notice is that man is different from all the other creatures. We looked at the rest of Genesis 1 last week, but I just want to highlight some of the things we come across in the passage. Because when it talks about the other creatures being created, it's interesting the language which is used. It talks about things being filled. Things have, areas have things being done to them. For example, We have for the plants, it says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit. When it talks about the animals in the sea, it says, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And then when it comes to the rest of the animals, 
It says, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. In many ways, the language is almost a bit distant. God's doing the creating, but he's saying that something else is to be filled. It's almost at a wee bit at an arm's distance. But then we come to the creation of man, and the language is different. We have then, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Have you noticed that? It's let us. God is getting personal. It's to do with God himself. Let us make man. Also in chapter 2, you have man being formed out of the dust of the ground. And yes, the animals also were formed out of the dust of the ground. But what does it say about man? It says that God formed him out of the dust of the ground and he breathed in him the breath of life. God is very much personally involved with the creation of man. There's that personal link. And even when it comes to blessing creation, when God blesses some of the animals, it says, and God blessed them saying, but for man, it says, and God blessed them full stop, and said to them. There's that relationship, that communication between man and God, God and man. It's different. It's not like all the other creatures. And of course, I'm missing the most obvious thing. It says that God created man in his own image. No other creature has been made in the image of God, just mankind. And at this point, I want to pause and make a very important point. It was not just Adam and Eve who were made in the image of God. All of us are made in the image of God. It's an aspect of being human. We're made in God's image. In fact, that's why the Bible takes things like murder so seriously. After the flood, when God is talking to Noah and talks about the penalty for murder, it says that it's so serious because you're taking the blood of one who's made in the image of God. All of us are made in the image of God. And more relevant to the political situation we find ourselves in today. When we look at the Psalms and the rest of the Bible and see how the unborn baby in the womb is treated. It talks about the Psalmist, how the baby is knitted together in his mother's womb. Even the unborn child is made in the image of God. And that's why we need to take issues like abortion. Issues like euthanasia. Assisted dying so seriously. Because we're dealing with people who are made in the image of God. We're separate from the rest of creation. But that brings an important question. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And there's various different aspects of what the concept of image means. And I want to use a real life example, which we're all familiar with. 
A number of years ago, a friend of mine was asked to look at an old school photograph. I think it might have been a photograph of the whole school. And he was asked, is there anyone in the photograph you recognize? So it took a while, you know, you go through all the way faces and he goes, I recognize him. That's Johnny McGee. But then he stopped and went, that can't be Johnny McGee. Because it was a school photograph of Inst. And there's no way I went to Inst. I went to Grosvenor. I'll probably get lynched by a few people afterwards. But I wasn't in that photograph. And there was another problem. He looked at the date of the photograph. And I know to some people here tonight, I'm probably starting to look old. But... I'd have to be really old to be in that photograph since it was from before I was born. The person in the photograph was my dad, David McGee. I am the image of my father. From a physical point of view, quite often we look like our parents or relatives. I haven't been able to track down that photograph but I've got some photographs on the screen and particularly if you know me and my sons and my dad you might notice in those photographs a family resemblance I look like my dad my son Philip in particular at times looks like me there's a physical aspect of image we look like our relatives and particularly if people know you they get to notice the similarities It isn't always obvious. It might be a chin or a nose. But we look like our relatives. We're the image of them. But there's another aspect of image. It's not just what we look like. It's also what attributes we have. If you know myself and my dad, you'll know that we share things in common. Our sense of humour can be similar. Our mannerisms, how we do things can be quite the same. And as I get older, I wasn't always like my dad. When I was a baby, I didn't have the same mannerisms as my dad. But as I've grown older, with time I've become more and more like him. I was tempted tonight to tell an embarrassing story about something which happened to my dad on the family holiday. But I won't for one very simple reason. My boys could tell the same story about me because I'm becoming like my dad. All the embarrassing things he did, I'm doing. But that's the way it is. As we grow up, we not only get to look like our relatives, our parents, Mannerisms, attributes, we become more and more like them. They develop as we age. But there's another aspect of image. I'm sure you've either had this said to you, or speaking to the parents here, you've probably said it. You're going out to some fancy event 
and the whole family's invited. What do you say to your kids before you leave the house? You tell them, you better behave tonight. You're representing our family. If you misbehave, people will have the wrong image of what our family's like. You see, that's the other aspect of image. It's to do with representing. We represent our families. We present a public image of our families. And it even happens in politics. Because you think about it, the American ambassador to the UK represents America to us. He's the image we have of America. So the three aspects of image, it can be physical, what we look like, attributes, our mannerisms, our characteristics, our character, and also being representative. Tonight we're going to look at those aspects and how it applies to us being made in the image of God. And we're actually going to look at them in the reverse order from what I've described so far. So what did God say to man originally? What was it God said to man when he put him on the earth? You see, God put man on the earth to be in charge of it, to look after it on his behalf. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was appointed as God's representative on earth. He was the one God put in charge. What was he to do? He was to manage it, not wreck it, but look after it on God's behalf, to subdue it, to fill it, to look after the animals. And we see that in what Adam did initially. Adam initially had to name the animals. That's all part of subduing it, classifying it. Adam, you could say, was the first scientist. He got to name the animals. He also was the first gardener. He got to garden and look after the Garden of Eden. And at this point, I just want to make emphasize again that being made in God's image is something God has assigned to us. It's conferred to us by God. It is not based on who we are or what we can do. God has declared we're made in his image. And that applies to every single one of us. And you know what? That means you are valuable in God's sight. Because you are made in his image. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. God made you in his image. That makes you important. That should enable you, for a few minutes anyway, to raise your head a wee bit higher. Put your shoulders back. And even more so when we come later on to what we will be. You see, God has made us in his image. Given us a responsibility to look after the earth.
but there's also the aspects of God's image, the attributes he has given us. God has created us in such a way that we can carry out the task he's given us. He's given us the ability to love, the ability to reason, the ability to communicate one with another, and many, many more things. And I suppose the key thing is, all those enable us to have a relationship with him. We can have a relationship with the living God. And we saw that in the description of how God created us, the differences. It's all about having a relationship with him. But you know, the attributes God has given us don't start fully developed in us from day one. It takes time to grow. Just as I gradually become like my dad, I also, in my Christian walk, should gradually become more and more like what God is like. But what about the physical aspect of image? We'll leave that for the moment because God is spirit. God doesn't have a body. But we'll cover that later on as well. So the question now is, how have things worked out in terms of man being in God's image? How have we done? On the good side of things, be fruitful and multiply. Yes, we've filled the earth. There's people all over the place now. We've done not too bad with that. In terms of subduing the earth and looking after it, we've got farming. We're able to grow crops for people to eat. We've got science. Science is an aspect of subduing the earth. We've looked into how the earth works, how things work in the wonderful universe God has created. And technology. We've been able to take what God has created and reuse it. Create things. Create technology which enables us to have a better life. And we can't forget about art and music. Other aspects of making use of what God has given us. The beautiful art. The wonderful music we can enjoy. It's all aspects of being made in the image of God. But what about the downside? How have we done badly? The first aspect is we have broken relationships. We no longer have the relationship we should have with God and with everyone else. Our relationships are broken. Murder. We as human beings have killed other human beings. We've killed other people who are made in the image of God. There's famine. Yes, we look after the earth, we provide farming, but some famine is man-made, down to mistakes man has made. Science and technology is great, but we've used it at times to create weapons which enable us to kill people even easier. And even art and music, there's inappropriate art, inappropriate music which is not good. So what has gone wrong? What's the problem? See, the problem is man was created to look after the earth on God's behalf. But as we'll see next week, man rebelled. Man went against God. Man wanted to be the ruler. He didn't want to be in charge on God's behalf. He wanted to rule. So what hope do we have? Well, when we go to the New Testament... 
we find there's a new heaven and a new earth. And we find that Jesus Christ will reign in the new heaven and the new earth. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, we have these words. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You see, we see there in Hebrews that one day, Jesus will be the one who is in control. He will be the one who reigns because he is God and because he died for us. So what hope do we have? Let's look at what Christ has done for us using the headings we've looked at already. From a physical point of view, when Jesus came into the world, what do we have? I've been thinking about in the mornings. Last week, John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. Jesus became a human being. God the Son became a man and dwelt among us. He became one of us. In terms of Jesus' attributes, he is the image of the invisible God we find in Colossians chapter 1 and 15. He's the exact image of God. He is what God is like because he is God. But on the other hand, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. He became one of us. And from a representative point of view, what did Jesus do? We read in Hebrews that he suffered death for everyone. Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven, so we could be put right with him. He suffered death for everyone. But what about us? What is this going to do with us? Because if we trust in Jesus, if we accept him as our saviour, ultimately from a physical point of view, one day we will see him. We will see him in his resurrected state in heaven. And we shall be like him. Our bodies will be transformed to be like his physical resurrection body. We shall be like him. More than that, as Jesus works in our lives, he's transforming us. He's making us to be more like him, more in his image, as he changed our attributes to be like him. And representative, we also read in Second Timothy that we will also reign with him. When there's the new heaven and the new earth, when the new Jerusalem, as it says in Revelation, comes down to the new earth, 
We will reign with him. We will be reigning with our Lord. And I can't help but wonder what that will be like. Some people have a picture of heaven. Of people sitting in clouds. Stringing hearts and singing songs. Heaven's not going to be like that. Yes, we'll be singing praises to God. But we will be reigning with him on the new earth. And I can't help but wonder if we'll be going full circle back to the beginning of Genesis. If we'll be involved in subduing the new earth. Just think of all the wonderful things we have on earth at the moment. When it comes to the new earth, just think of what wonderful gardens may be planted. What wonderful scientific discoveries we'll be able to make to his glory in the new earth and new heaven. And what about the art? What amazing art we'll be able to produce in heaven when we work with him and the music. What wonderful music we have now, but in glory, when we're with him, reigning with him, what will be done? You see, I think like C.S. Lewis thought, I think the good things we have here will continue into the future in a better way. As another quote from C.S. Lewis in the last battle says, as the children enter into the new Narnia after the old one passes away all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover title page now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before because we will reign with him in the new earth, the new heaven. And it's going to be wonderful. I've been, got excited thinking about it. Thinking about what wonders await for us. But as I was getting excited, as it's thrilled my soul, something else thrilled my soul even more. Because it's not that we will reign The thing that thrills my soul is we will reign with him. We will be with our Lord forever. And I think that's what the image of God boils down to at the very end. It's all about having that relationship with God. And you know what? The reason I'm looking forward to eternity is because I will be with him I will be with my Lord forever.